Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we have to open your word again. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your goodness to us. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And as we look at this concluding passage in Timothy and see some of the people that that Paul was associated with and remembered, it reminds us that you came to reach people and to take ordinary people that we've talked about this morning and make us those that love you and serve you and follow you. Help us to be responsive to you this morning. I pray that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone will be exalted, lifted up. We ask it in his name with thanksgiving. Amen. When we're looking at 2 Timothy, we're looking at chapter 4, which is the last chapter. And um, in this passage, Paul is, in concluding this letter to Timothy, is concluding the way he does many times by just mentioning a few people in closing, uh, people that he's been associated with, which I think says a lot about the fact that he is concerned with people, has a relationship with people, people are important. They are important. Um, so they should be important to us as well, this, this bottom line. But here is uh, Paul, he's concerned in prison, in chains, um, exposed. He's writing to Timothy, who was a young man that was he had discipled. He's concerned for the church that he has been involved in and Timothy is involved in. And he wants to be sure that Timothy is filling the shoes of his responsibility and taking on the, the gift and exercising the gift that God has given him and the call and responsibility. And he wants him to exercise that faithfully and have an impact in the church. And so he's writing him. And in the process of doing that, he mentions a number of other people. I've taken this passage and I'm sort of maybe distorting it in a way that is that I am focusing more on the people and then we'll touch on the events that surround the people. But in order to do that, I have uh, organized it so that we are covering the people in sort of, at least in my thinking, my view, uh, sort of an organized way of grouping the people together. The first we're starting to look at those associates of all that were faithful. And uh, we started looking at that last week. I'll come back to that in just a minute. And then following that, there are the associates of Paul that were unfaithful. Following the uh, discussion of those that are unfaithful, he's going to be talking about the associates that uh, at one time were questionable, but they have been restored and they're now growing and becoming a real pleasure to his heart and his ministry. And we'll look at that. Then we'll look at the associates that were in this situation that you might call their, his enemies, those that were against him and his work. Uh, and then there are those associates in the concluding passage that were former friends and associates that he just mentioned by name. And in that list, we will also, he mentions the Lord who stood by him. We will talk about that. I wouldn't call the Lord necessarily an associate, but his sovereign and his teacher and his master, and so we'll look at that. But right now, we're in that first list, 
And we started out by looking at those that are faithful. And the first one that we looked at, we're not going to detail that, is Timothy, who was his faithful son. Timothy is the one that called a disciple. And he is one that he calls his beloved son, um, my true child in the faith. Um, he is the one that he is been entrusted with, Paul has entrusted him with his teaching, and he's asking Timothy to be faithful to pass that on to other men. Uh, he is writing to Timothy to encourage him in the things of the ministry, to encourage him to confront those, um, to kindle afresh the gift that's in him, to conf confront those that are teaching fables and speculations and things. And he's just encouraging Timothy with that responsibility. And at the very end of this little statement of Timothy, in this letter, he, he lets Timothy know that he's been thinking about him and praying for him. He remembers Timothy's tears in their last departure. He's asking Timothy to come bring some things with him and come to see him as soon as possible. Uh, make, it, it, even though he's in, in prison and even though he doesn't have much long to live, Paul is saying, you will bring me great joy if I can just see your face and see you again. So Paul is writing to Timothy, and that's the first one that we looked at. The second person we looked at was a, a person by the name of Crescens. Uh, all it says about Crescens is that he has gone to Galatia. Galatia is an area in which there were a number of churches, and Paul has ministered to those churches. In all three of his first missionary journeys, he went through the Galatian area. This would be southern Galatia because of the Roman province, now a Roman province, and he ministered there. And so near the end of this last time, he has commissioned this guy, Christians, to he's asked him to go to Galatia. We don't have any other details other than that. Christians uh, is, is a faithful person who is unknown, and we don't find any other mention, but God knows him. And that's an encouragement that we don't have to have our names on the marquee or in the bulletin in order to be useful to the Lord. That unlike Timothy, who was well known and had a heart similar to Paul. Christians is not well known, but he was faithful and to go and to do it in the minister as Paul had asked him to do. Following Christians is this guy Titus, who was kind of the opposite of Christians in a way. He was well known. He was one that Paul had commissioned him and told him to go to Crete. Um, he wrote, him, wrote a book, a letter to him, asking him to go to Crete and to uh, stay there in order to set things in order in the churches and to appoint elders in the churches and see that the churches kind of stabilized and growing and that the gifts are functioning properly. And so Titus uh, is now going to Dalmatia, which is he's not really famous area, and yet he's faithful to do that, which to me, just in my little looking at him, says a lot about Titus, that here's this guy who is pretty well known, and yet he's willing to go and minister in an area that's not too well known. It's sort of you know, sometimes we can get too big for ministry and that we feel like we should have a certain position here with the big letters rather than a small place over here. You understand what I'm saying? And so Titus seems to fit that bill that he is going where he's been asked to go and ministering where he's been asked to minister. Uh, he's a well-known servant. He's willing to serve in unimpressive places. The third, uh, the fourth person that we looked at was Luke. 
Um, Luke is a faithful companion of Paul. He's only mentioned by name three times in the New Testament, but he appears throughout Paul's missionary journeys over and over and over again, where Paul talks about, or where Luke, who writes the, the historical document, talks about we went here and we did that, and so on and so forth. So we know that Luke was heavily involved in the journeys of Paul, and uh, we don't know how far he traveled. We know for sure it was hundreds of miles. It could have been, it could have covered him for thousands of miles. It's uh, just an unbelievable um, companionship that Luke had with Paul and uh, served him. Luke was called the great physician, but um, we don't have a lot of information about him exercising his ability as a doctor, but we do know that he compiled two books, uh, the Gospel of Luke, which is the longest gospel in the New Testament, goes into most detail, and also the historical document of the Book of Acts. He, he wrote both of those, and uh, he, we know from his own testimony that he had spent a lot of time compiling the information. It is believed mostly by Bible scholars that Luke's gospel is the most um, accurately organized chronological document, and that the others will kind of fill in the pieces around that because Luke did such a good job of doing the historical document. Luke interestingly, is not mentioned as one who did a lot of personal one-on-one -on -one work as a disciple. There's no, nobody in there that we can find that he took under his wing, and yet he has done so much to help future generations of believers with the two books that he wrote, that he did the research and the compiling of these things. And so this is, this is, a, this is a strong testimony of how God uses different people and different, with different gifts to glorify his name. Now we come to a guy, a new territory, a guy by the name of Tychicus, and um, Tychicus, and I'm moving sort of quickly, he was, uh, we call him a, maybe a faithful messenger. He's mentioned, uh, he was one of Paul's tra traveling companionships uh, in Acts 24, when Paul was going back to Jerusalem, he was bringing some monies that had been connected, collected with a number of churches, and with those Money is collected. Each church that was giving money to help with relief back in Jerusalem sent a representative, and Tychicus was one of those representatives, and he's mentioned in Acts 24. I'm just going to read the verse. Um, in Acts 24, it says, And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and Aristarchus and Secundus, and of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These are all people that accompanied Paul as he was going back to Money. I just mentioned it so you can see that he is mentioned there. He's mentioned two other places in the New Testament, and this is, where, this is what gives us an idea of, of his ministry. He's mentioned in, well, actually three other places. He's mentioned in Ephesians 6, 12, and he's mentioned in Colossians 4, 7. The Bible Knowledge Encyclopedia, which is put out by Dallas Seminary, says that um, Tychicus is the bearer of his epistle, and in both of those epistles, uh, Paul says, for example, in the, in the Ephesians 6.21, Paul says this about Tychicus. He says, um, but that you may know about my certainty, right, to the church, sending a letter to, to the church at Ephesus. And in that letter, he says, that you may know about my circumstances and how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. So what he's saying is he's written this letter, that letter is in hand. Tychicus' hand, and he's going to deliver it to the church. He says, Paul says, I have sent him to you for the very purpose so that you may know about us, that we may comfort your hearts. So Tychicus is the one that was entrusted, it seems, with this letter 
written to the church at Ephesus, and that seems to be also true in Colossians 4, 7. If I can read that, it says in Colossians 4, 7, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant. These are all good statements, by the way, about him. He's faithful in the Lord. He will bring you information, for I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstance, and that we may he may encourage your hearts. So the two letters here, that or two references that give uh, very strong indication that Tychicus is the one who was entrusted with the letter when Paul finally signed it and and uh, had it was written out and given out and given it to Tychicus to deliver. There is a third possibility, although it's kind of vague. And that is in the letter of the Titus when uh, Paul writes to Titus and he says, uh, "When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me and Nicopolis." For I have decided to spend the winter there. We don't know for sure if he was entrusted with that letter, but it's possible. But what I think we can say is Tychicus is a faithful messenger. He was one that was entrusted by Paul with these letters to deliver, and he, he had a lot of faith and trust in him. And that's that's um, that's that's a good thing. He's a faithful bond servant, a faithful messenger, a servant, and the one that is dependable by Paul and Paul could take that, the letter that was written and entrusted to the hands of this man and know that he would deliver that letter faithfully. Then there's another faithful uh, minister or faithful associate, and that's a guy by the name of Carpus. And he's mentioned in, in the verse 13, Paul writes to Timothy, tells Timothy, when you come, bring the cloak which I left in Troas with Carpus and the books especially. Um, just to comment, Carpus seems to have been gifted with the gift of hospitality. By that, let me explain that. We know in the early church, uh, the inns, the places where people would spend the night, many times were dirty. Um, don't like to sound gross, but sometimes you get fleas or other things, and it's not always a clean. Sometimes also there was prostitutes and other things that could be associated with this. So it. it in the early days, the churches developed the ability of development, practice, I guess, of housing with Paul or somebody of, of uh, prestige was coming through the area and needed a place to stay. Somebody in the church would open up their home. It would be clean. Uh, it would be, they would provide companionship, something to eat and friendship, and there would be a good time of fellowship back together, back and forth. I can remember Elaine talking about sometimes when missionaries would come uh, through the through the church, and C.B. and Dave would have them over, and sometimes they would be spending the night or whatever, they would get to listen to the stories and things like that. And that's kind of encouragement for the kids to hear about missionaries, and that would be true in the homes. And Carpus seems to be one of those people who uh, has that gift of hospitality, um, allowing people to come and stay in their homes, uh, because... Um, He's mentioned here as a place where Paul was. He said, bring the gifts which I left uh, at Troas with Carpus. And so they were there at his, his home, his place. And the indication is possibly because he's mentioned by name. And uh, the name alone would strike a recognition of a lot of people. It's possible his home was not only a place where the people would stay, but could be a place where they had a home church, a house church. That was very common in the New Testament. Somebody had a big home. Um, remember Lydia had a home and she was willing to open that up for the people to come in. If they had, uh, God had blessed them with a lot of gifts and a lot of uh, 
resources like that, they would open their home and let people come in and stay. And it's possible they had a home church, a church there in their home that was mentioning, that was meeting there rather. Uh, the thing that is interesting is Paul tells Timothy to bring three things which he left at the home of Carpus. One, he said, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas, and also the books, and especially the parchments. The cloak would be a heavy wool, like a coat or blanket. Uh, in that culture, the, in, the, in the summertime, it would be hot in the day and cold at night, cool down. And so uh, at, at nighttime, you would need something to keep you cool, keep you warm. Paul was in prison. He didn't have that. Uh, he was left at the Troas, and that's why he's asking, he said, bring it. It's very important to have it be heavy wool. It will keep you warm. It's very valuable, and uh, you would not want to lose that. It would be expensive, and so he'd want that, and said, I would appreciate you bring it with you when you come. Secondly would be the books, which would probably be papyrus scrolls, and they would contain uh, valuable uh, documents, probably Old Testament records or Old Testament scriptures, not necessarily the full book of Isaiah, but portions that would be copied. It could be the whole book, but probably just copies, but there would be scrolls like that that would be papyrus scrolls that would be valuable documents, and Paul would read them and study them, and so they would be, they would be important. And then the third would be the parchments, which he valued very highly. The parchments were expensive because they, it represented um, document vellum sheets that were made of animal skins had been treated and they were, uh, they provided a permanent record. We could write on those animal skins and it would preserve them and they would be used for valuable documents, usually letters of Paul. We don't know if Paul had any of his letters already written with those documents or not, or if he was going to use them, but he valued those parchments. And so he said, especially bring those three things. So you got the, the valuable, the expensive clue, you've got the scrolls, which would probably contain scripture that was very important, and the parchments, which either had already been written or maybe he wanted to write some more. And so Paul was always thinking of those three things. Now the question arises, uh, why did he leave the choice? And we don't know why he left them a choice, but because of that value, the indication to me is that he left in a hurry. It's possible that he was arrested in home. And if it was a home church, it's possible that the house of the Nero could have been raided because Christians were persecuted by Rome and that they could have been arrested and Paul could have been jerked away and he had to leave everything there back at the home of Carpus. So say, you know what I'm saying? We don't know that for sure. All we know is he didn't have any water and he asked him to pick them up. But I think it's safe to say that uh, Carpus had the gift of hospitality. And uh, so you have all these different people with these different gifts and different abilities. And not everybody is an Apostle Paul. Not everybody is a Timothy. Not everybody is uh, able to go to work at a church here or whatever. But different people do different things. Some people write, some do studies, some have the gift of hospitality. God places the body together and we function as he has placed us in the body for his glory, to serve him. And that's what matters. Now we come to a new section, uh, associates that are unfaithful. This is the one I wanted to get to. And you will be surprised at this probably. But of all the people in this list, Demas is the one that I'm most closely identified with. And I'll tell you why. Um, and, I, and I've been going through this, and the Lord has really been just 
really speaking to me. But here's Demas, and let's just read verse 9. Uh, he says to Timothy, he says, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas is one that was involved in ministry, as I am. Um, he, he had a good commitment to the Lord. He was serving the Lord. He's mentioned in a couple of books in the New Testament. Uh, he was involved in Colossa, which is the home church of Philemon. If you remember Philemon, uh, who had a runaway slave, Onesimus, uh, Philemon was involved in the home church of Colossa uh, there. And uh, he is one of the, the, his letter is one of the prison epistles that were written along with Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Demas uh, evidently was associated there. Colossians 4.14 says this. This is just one of the verses taken from that letter written to the church of Colossae. Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you greetings as also Demas. And so here is Paul telling that, that Luke is sending greetings and Demas. So Demas was one of the group, one of the, the uh, fellowship, guys in fellowship and teaching and involved in ministry, and he was trusted by the apostle. Paul mentions Demas also in his letter to Philemon, and listen to the associates with which Demas is mentioned with. Here is Philemon, uh, verses 23 to 25. He says this. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, he's writing from prison, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you, as do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So here is Demas. He's been heavily involved with ministry. He's been involved with uh, Paul, and he's, as I have been, and he's not only been involved, he's been with, involved with some pretty impressive people, like Luke, like Mark, like Paul, as I have been. I, 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 didn't, I wasn't on the pulpit in great church, but I was there, and I knew John, and we functioned together in the church, and I've been involved with that, and so I can identify pretty closely with Demas in those two areas. The third thing about Demas is that Demas was attracted by the world. He says here um, that uh, he's loved this present world. Um, and it has caused him to leave Paul in the lurch. It's caused him to abandon Paul. Before I move on, I just want to say that I know what it's like to be attracted by the world. I know what it's like in my heart to love, to see the things in the world and to be attracted by it. It is attractive. To me, it's attractive. And I know what it's like. And that's why I say I can identify very closely with Demas. Uh, and here is his, he says that this love, Demas's love for the world has caused him to do something. He loved this present world and has deserted me. That word uh, deserted has the idea of Paul saying he has abandoned me. Um, he has left me in straits. Uh, he has left me helpless, left me in a lurch. He's let me down. That Demas did that because he looked at the work and the ministry and Paul there in languishing in prison and he looked at the world and the world and the love of the world drew him away. I know what it's like to love the world. I know what it's like. It's not that I'm looking at this and saying, oh, don't have to worry about that. I do worry about that. I know exactly what that's like. I see that every day. And so here's Demas and he has that love that stands in his way, that pulls him away, and uh, he has deserted Paul and left him in a lurch. Let me show you four verses where that same word, deserted, is used in other places in the New Testament, okay? So let me show you. 
The first one is in Matthew, there are many more, but just give me four. The first one is in Matthew 27, 46. It's Jesus on the cross. And it says about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? He's on the cross. He's suffering. He's in agony. He's bearing our shame and our guilt and our sin. And he cries out to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? Same word. He was deserted by his heavenly father on the cross because of our sins that was laid on him. God turned his back on his own precious son on the cross because of your sin, because of my sin. That is massive, massive love and sacrifice for us. That he would do. Let me show you another reference to that same word in Hebrews 13, 5. The writer to Hebrews says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And the word forsake is that same word, desert. So here it is, the Lord was on the cross. He was deserted by his father. But in Hebrews, he turns to us and says, I will never desert you. He has his promise. He is faithful to do that. I will never abandon you. I will never leave you in a strait. <laughs> I will have to tell you that there are, I've had these recently too. God's really been working my heart to been going through these verses, but there have been times when I've been praying, praying for things, praying for people, praying for situations, and it just seems like that God has turned his back and walked away. And I look at these verses, and I know he has not. I know he hears. I know he's on the throne. I know he's working. I know that. And yet I know also that sometimes he answers by saying, wait, or he's answered by saying, no, this is not the right, you know what I'm saying? This is not the right thing. He, he is in charge. He is faithful. He has promised, I will never abandon, forsake, or desert. He's promised to do that. That's a good thing. One more verse here. Two more verses. One is in our text, 2 Timothy 4.16. Paul says, in my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. So Paul was there. And I, and I don't think necessarily that that is saying that all, that, that all Paul's friends say, I don't have anything to do with him. I'm tired of it. Forget him. I don't have I think I think they did love Paul. I think they wanted to minister to him. But there was such a danger in going to Jerusalem where Nero was. When you were taking your life in your own hands as a Christian, if you went, because Nero was really fiery persecuting the church, and he didn't want to have anything to do with the church. And I just think that the believers just found out it was better and safer to do something else than go to Jerusalem to be associated with Paul. You see what I'm saying? To kind of protect themselves. And uh, so I think that's what he's saying, is that he's, here is Paul in prison. He doesn't see all that that's going on. He just knows that, that they've all gone. They've left him as the lurch, and they've, they've turned away from him. Yes? We Rome. Yeah, well, I say Jerusalem. Yeah, okay, yeah, Romans, you're right, in Rome. Because Nero, that's where the, the that's where Nero functioned, and that was that the, the believers, many of them had left uh, Rome like that. So yes, I thank you for that. So that, that uh, I think what, what Paul is saying is that here he is in prison in Rome, but many of the believers did not come because it's life-threatening. They are putting their life in their own hands by, by going to Rome. And then the fourth verse where this word forsaken is... Uh, Use now. I want you to listen to this because it's important. 
is Hebrews 10.25. And the other verse, these are just four I picked out. Hebrews 10.25 says, not forsaking, there's the word, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What he's saying there is that we are not to be deserting the fellowship of one another. And that doesn't just mean that we should be in church. It means we should be supporting each other, encouraging each other. In other words, it's not just the attendance, it's the commitment to be involved, to support, to help, to build, to challenge. You see, in other words, it's not just the attendance, it is to be involved because we are a body and we are members and we've seen we all function together uh, as members of the body and so we have that responsibility. And so he's saying, don't desert, don't abandon, don't forsake that ministry together as a manner of some. Then he uses the only one more word. I want you to look at the word love, uh, which he talks about there uh, in the text when he says that he has loved this uh, present world. There's several words that you can use for love. This is the word agapao, which means to esteem the world. Um, it means to pursue it with the direction of the will, to find your joy in pursuing the world or something like that. Uh, don't let the world. Um, don't let the world be the source of your joy and your fulfillment and your purpose in life. That's what the, the danger is. He was pursuing the world, letting the world be that, that source of joy, that source of purpose uh, for your life. Let your anchor or purpose and, and hope and fulfillment be in Christ, not just in the fulfillment. You see what I'm saying? Not just the fulfillment of the things of the world. Use your time, use your money, use your energy, use your effort for something bigger than pursuing the pleasures of the world. There is another word for love, the word phileo, which has to do with kind of an emotional, uh, warm affection. Uh, it's the kind of love that you would express uh, with a kiss, perhaps. That's not the word that's used. This is the word that speaks of a volitional, uh, pursuing, almost like being on a conveyor belt of pursuing uh, the in, indulgence in the world because you think that that is going to bring you the purpose that you're looking for and you're on a you're on a treadmill pursuing that. Demas, the text reads, said, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Um, the scriptures warn about this kind of thing. And this is steps on my toes again. I'm telling you, I identify with this. I really do identify with this. First John 2 says, do not love the world. That's exactly the same word. Do not set your intellectual faculties on pursuing just the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves, and that's a continual, if anyone continually loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, it has to do with, when it says the love of the Father, it means the love that flows out from the Father is not in him. In other words, the love of the Father would, would, would generate in us a love for each other, a love for the Savior. If we have a love for the world and that love that God gives us for loving each other and loving the Savior is not there, not what we think. We're told in First John um, to walk, see, to walk in the love of God, to walk in the in the spotlight of His provision, His grace, His salvation, His provision. If we don't walk out of that, we move out from under that love that He has provided for us. Do you see what I'm saying? And we can do that. 
That's why I'm telling you this, because I know what it's like to be attracted by the things of the world. It bothers me, and I hope it bothers you, because we are, we're in a system, a world system, that is attractive to us, and it appeals to the flesh, it appeals to us. And the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, eye, the boastful pride of life, all of us are prideful. Uh, we like to be the big cheese. We like to have our names on the hierarchy. Uh, and it's easy to get these things backwards. And so I'm just telling you that this is what he's saying. The world passes away. It's temporary. This is Demons love the present world. It's the world that's passing away. But he that does the will of my Father lives forever. So we're choosing between the temporal and the eternal. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters. Let me show it to you this way. You cannot love the world and Christ at the same time. You're going to serve the world and you serve yourself, or you're going to serve Christ and serve him. You can't do both. It's impossible to do both. You're going to have to make a choice. That's what he says. That's what he talks about in Luke 14. I... I I pray that the Lord would help me be a Luke 14 disciple, and I pray for my friends, some of them that I pray about the same thing. If he says in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Who does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Is he saying, love you, hate your mother and father, wife and sister, brother? Sounds like it. No, he's not. He's saying that you're serving, you're serving two masters. You've got to choose which one you want. You're going to serve your family, or you're going to serve Christ. Who is first? That's what he's asking. Make that choice. And in that context, he's telling us to count the cost. It's the cost of discipleship. Decide who you're going to serve. Do you see what I'm saying? Decide who you serve and live for, because that's the one that's, that's your master. That's what you're going to, that's what he's asking us to do. So then he says, no one can, can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. He's not saying that Christians sell everything, you build a house. Uh, divest themselves or anyone. He's just saying, everything you have belongs to Jesus. You serve Jesus first. Put him first. And if he tells you to serve, to sell your house, do it. If he tells you to, to do this, do it. And it's not very likely he's going to tell you like that because he's not speaking audibly like that. He speaks through his word. But you know what I'm saying. He, he can communicate his word to you. He's the boss. That's what I used to tell my friend Phyllis Mullen. That we talked to her, and she gave she gave her supposedly gave her life to the Lord in our living room, and we told her one of the other things is that He is the Lord, and she said that means He's the boss. And I said, yes, that's what it means. He's the boss. And he is. It doesn't sound very gracious, but He is absolutely the sovereign of the universe. He is boss. There are no rogue molecules. John says, First John says, this is the love of God. This is the love that, that God has given to us. That we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome for whoever is born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. How do you overcome the world? By faith. Where do you get the faith? God's word. So you need to spend time with God's word. Spend time there every day. That's what will keep you separate. That's what's, that's what's, that's your, that's the umbilical cord to eternal life. That's the, 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 uh, the stream that flows from the throne of God to give us his life and his strength and his energy. I must love him, serve him, follow him, his word, spend time in it all the time. Uh, he tells us um, in Colossians 3.10, another verse that God has really been dealing with about. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking those things which are above. 
things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Keep seeking those things that are above. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's that dying in Christ is part of what the Bible talks about when Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. And I was given. When I came to Christ, I died. His life, he, he took over my life. He is, he is my Lord. He is my sovereign. And I sometimes I don't die. Sometimes I get up and I want to walk around and refuse to die. But I want to die. Do you understand what I'm saying? And just, I want to die for self. It's, 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 a, it's a conflict in a way, and, yes, it's, and yet it's very important. He tells us to seek first. That was my wife's favorite verse, by the way. At least the one that she quoted to me most. And maybe she quoted because I didn't hear it. <laughs> but, uh, she kept saying in the Matthew 6 33, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek him first, seek his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Luke went, I mean, uh, Demas went to Thessalonica, which is a city in Macedonia, is known in ancient times by the name of Thermae or Hot Bass. Sandra, one of the generals of Alexander the Great, built the city and called it. After his wife, Alexander's sister Thessaloniki, it is situated in the northeast corner of the Thematic Gulf in Paul's day, it was the free city of Romans, the most popular city of over 20, about 200,000 people in Macedonia, the capital of one of the four Roman provinces of Macedonia, which extended to the river Simon from the east, the Axis on the west. So, this city was a big place to go. It's an easy place to lose oneself if you're running away from the pressures, running away from the, the uh, Persecution, the hard times, it's like going to Las Vegas, you know, it's, it's uh, flashy, a lot of distractions, a lot of things, you kind of forget the commitment and the dedication you have to Paul, hopefully that those things will be behind you, they won't be behind him, I know his conscience will be bothered the day that he dies, but he has forsaken those things, giving evidence, by the way, giving evidence, probably was never really saved, because we have, in the scripture, the parable of the sword, we have four swords, representing four kinds of hearts. One of those soils, the soil of the, the weedy soil, the soil that has the weeds, is the gospel is sown, it receives it, but the weeds grow up and choke it out so that it becomes So this is this is what I I identify with. I can see myself in demons, I can see the attraction of the world and those things that appeal to me, and yet I know that I want to remain faithful to the Lord. I know you do too. And so uh, we just need to really pray for each other. Make sure that you make time in your day for God's word. Spend time with him every day. It's your lifeline. It's your hope. Spend time in God's word. Let God's word renew, as it says in Romans, renew your mind. Uh, because it's really important. Let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for these people. And we we learn kind of like the scripture Jesus talked about Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. It's no fun to be a show and tell illustration of a bad life like that. No fun to have people remember you as you have, how you have failed. But help us to learn from people who have made mistakes like that, that we don't make the same mistakes. Lord, I just have to acknowledge to you how attractive sometimes the things of the world are. They are to me. Uh, and I, I know that. And I don't want to... I don't want to follow through with these things. I don't want to give in to these things. I want you to be first. Always help us to pursue you. Help us to love you. Um, you've told us to reckon ourselves dead unto sin and alive unto God. Help us to do that. Help us to make room in our day 
you every day and that you I, I thank you for what you're doing thank you so much as we've been looking at these verses that i know you've been dealing with me i thank you for doing that this is a sign of your mercy and grace when you speak to us you challenge us with these things maybe we feel uncomfortable but that's a good sign because you love us and you're you're making us more like the lord jesus help us to do that help us to be willing to count the cost and the count the cost to realize where the real value is and that's in you thank you that you were willing to be forsaken on that cross that we would not be forsaken thank you for this time now we pray in jesus name thanksgiving